Hello everyone, this is the Travel Local Podcast and I'm your host Diblex Le Salon. In this third episode of our series, Fighting Extinction, I am honored and deeply grateful to have this conversation with Nina Fazion. Nina joined International Rhino Foundation in May of 2020 as its Executive Director. She has been a wildlife conservation professional for more than 30 years. She has previously held positions as Vice President of Philanthropy and Vice President of Field Conservation at Defenders of Wildlife and was Executive Director at Bird Conservation International. Nina has vi visited all 50 US states and more countries than her age, though she keeps this number a secret. Uh, she loves both remote nature travel as well as urban destinations. Uh, despite hating the cold, she has often found herself at the top of big mountains, including Mount Kenya and the Bale Mountains in Ethiopia. Nina feels very fortunate to travel annually to Northern Kenya where she loves the wildlife, landscape, and the people. I hope you enjoy this episode. Karibuni, karibuni sana. Hello, Nina. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. <laughs> it's so good to hear your voice, finally. Likewise. <laughs> um, tickle in my throat so i put in a little cough drop but there i just i just spit it out hopefully my own camera i'm not this is just uh, audio correct yeah this is just audio okay great <laughs> and, and, and i can hear you correctly your audio is great thanks uh you you as well but that's to be expected i guess since you're the host for sure for sure how's new york <laughs> uh, i'm in dc okay yeah did, did you say how's new york yes yes i thought yeah. you're in new york yeah, what well, probably says it always says New York time, but I'm in the DC area, and and frankly, DC is a little crazy these days. Um, yes, <laughs> but, uh, uh, hopefully you're keeping safe and healthy. Plus, uh, you know, uh, the people, your family, and uh, everyone. Yes, uh, we are all safe and well. But I will tell you um, that we we miss our Kenyan president very much. <laughs> <laughs> For sure, I understand. I understand. Um, when was the last time you were in Kenya? I well, I I get there every year except for of course 2020, sadly. So I was there in 2019. Hopefully this year things uh, clear up and uh, we can't wait to have you back. And uh, you know, yeah. I can't wait, and I have. I mean, some of my best friends in the world are there. I don't know if you know <laughs> Shivani Bala, who runs the Owasso Lions. Exa yeah. yeah, 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 I know. I've, 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 uh, you know, I've, I've seen her online, but I haven't interacted with her on a personal level. But I know her. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, it's, it's good work they do up there, and, um, and I just, I, oh, I love that Samburu region. It's there's just something magical about it. We're, we're gonna talk about it in a, in, oh, okay. in, in, in a moment. <laughs> you okay. in Nairobi. Yes, yes. I mean, Nairobi, uh, we, uh, we, are, we are not on lockdown. Schools just reopened this week. And, um, you know, we have cases, uh, you know, uh, on a daily basis. But the government is really doing a good job in trying to, you know, uh, control the situation and monitor how it goes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we are hoping for the best. Uh, they are saying the vaccine will be rolled out in the next couple of months. And, uh, yeah, uh, fingers crossed for that one. And, uh, yeah, we are still hanging in there, you know. Good. It's just amazing the difference in how Africa has done 
relatively so much better with this pandemic than the rest of than much of the rest of the world. And um, I've been reading articles about why that might be. And I don't know that I don't think anybody knows anything other than the theories they're putting out there. But it is, um, it, you know, it's a bit of a godsend for, for Africa, certainly. And um, it's fascinating, too. Yeah, yeah, there's uh, people have talked a lot. People have said a lot, lots of factors to uh, that have come to play. Um, but we just thank God. We thank God and we are hoping the rest of the world will, you know, um, get safer and safer as, uh, you know, days go by. Yes, yes, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Nina, for making time to join us today. Thank you for having me. I'm so delighted to talk with you. Maybe you can just start by telling us, you know, what has been the, what has been, uh, you know, the success behind uh, International Rhino Foundation's conservation model. I know you, you joined the, the foundation last year, May, um, and uh, you know, uh, as its executive director, what, what, what do you think uh, has been, you know, the success factor behind what uh, you guys do? Well, you know, success to us looks like more rhinos on the ground. Our vision at the International Rhino Foundation is a world where rhinos thrive in the wild. And we've uh, had some successes over the years, but all five rhino species around the world are still at risk and some gravely so. So while there are far more rhinos now than when IRF was founded 30 years ago, um, particularly with the black rhino and the southern white rhino in Africa um, and the greater one-horned rhino in India, uh, um, there, are, there, we still have a long way to go. I mean, white rhinos are on the decline again due to heavy poaching in the past few years. And then in Indonesia, both the Javan rhino and Sumatran rhino are at very low numbers. So we certainly have our work cut out for us and, and we work with partners around the world to, to turn that around and, and continue the positive movement on the species that, that you, you know, we've enjoyed over the past few decades. Uh, interesting. And what does it mean for you, you know, to work at IRF fighting extinction of the remaining five uh, uh, rhino species? I have to say there's not a day that goes by that I, I don't feel like the luckiest person in the world. I, I wanted to work to protect wildlife since I was four years old. It was and, and still is a calling for me um, that I'm very lucky to have found my, my way in this profession. And I've worked with so many species over the years, but I couldn't be happier to be working to conserve rhinos. Uh, you know, I just think these critters are amazing, adorable, majestic. Uh, we know they're ecologically important. They're super cool and, um, and they need our help. So uh, I, I feel really strongly that we have a moral imperative to hand our children a world with at least as much biodiversity as what we inherited. And um, and hopefully could make the world even a little better than the one we inherited. And so um, so that's my calling. And um, rhinos are just uh, the the perfect uh, species to to do that with. Wow, wow, that sounds interesting a lot. Uh, I love rhinos too. You know, just seeing them in the wild. When I go for game drives with my family or with friends out there in the wild, and they're really super, super, super cool animals. And uh, they're facing threats. Uh, they're facing threats, you know, and according to you, you know, what are some of the biggest threats that you have come across facing rhino conservation? Oh, uh, 
poaching, poaching, poaching. Um, it's really so much about poaching, but that's, is, that's not the only thing. So there has been habitat loss and, and there are different primary factors with the, each of the different species, but so habitat loss and frankly, reproductive challenges um, stemming from low population numbers in some of the species like the Sumatran rhinos. And um, so reproductive challenges slash small population challenges. Um, so there, there are a variety of things. If we could stop poaching in Africa, black rhinos and white rhinos would be in great shape. Um, and of course, we are working, you know, there's, there are a lot of good people working to try to do that. I'm glad, I'm glad you've mentioned about reproductive challenges. And I, I wanted you to enlighten us about, you know, the rhino conservation breeding programs that you, 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 you have at IRF. Yes, I'm happy to talk about that. Um, I maybe should start by saying a little bit more about why captive breeding is so essential. Um, and the, the primary species that needs it are the Sumatran rhinos in Indonesia. I mean, our African colleagues are quick to say that black rhinos and white rhinos, you know, if, if we stop shooting them and, and let them be together, they do just fine, right? They're, they're, that they will reproduce just fine. Um, but in Sumatra, the Sumatran rhino numbers have gotten low enough and they are spread over such a large area that they are really very isolated. Their numbers are so low. Um, and that was originally from poaching, but poaching hasn't been a big factor for them in years, thanks to a very intensive protection programs um, that IRF in, in partnership with the government of Indonesia and others have, have worked on over the years. But but their numbers are still so low that they're in isolated tiny pockets and there, there just aren't enough of them now to find each other and reproduce in the wild. So, I mean, there's some breeding going on in the wild, but at very low numbers and there's a very elusive. I mean, there people hardly ever see them in the wild, including the, the rhino patrol units that spend their entire lives out in the rainforest looking for them. Um, they're, they're just such an elusive species. So, um, so there is a, um, so two things about the captive breeding program. Um, IRF worked with um, our Indonesian partner, Yayasan Badak Indonesia, or Yabi, uh, to in 1996, we built a Sumatran rhino sanctuary in Wycombus National Park in Sumatra for the purpose of caring for and breeding um, this critically imperiled critter. And there are uh, seven individuals now, four females and, and three males, at the Sumatran Rhino Sanctuary. Uh, there have been two births there. Uh, a female named Ratu gave birth to um, a son, Andatu, in 2012, and a little girl, Delilah, in 2016. Um, and we continue to work closely with the government of Indonesia and Yabi and, and our partners within Indonesia, and, and frankly, from all over the world, on a critical effort now to capture and place more rhinos into this captive facility, the Sumatra Rhino Sanctuary, or, or others that are being built or have designs to be built elsewhere. Um, under the guidance of the Indonesian government, the SRS was expanded last year. Um, and with this program to capture others, you know, the ultimate goal is for them to breed them in captivity and release them back into the wild. Uh, that's the goal of programs. And um, I personally have worked on other captive breeding programs like this in North America with different species, 
um, and we can do it. It's these are not easy programs. My gosh, they're difficult. But um, red wolves, Mexican gray wolves, black-footed ferrets, California condors. Um, these are all species that were either extinct from the wild or nearly extinct, and the remaining animals captured and bred in captivity and reintroduced. Uh, and so, of course, that is the same type of program we're looking to do, <clears throat> excuse me, with the Sumatran rhino. Uh, all right. And is there a difference uh, in the way the breeding is done, or rather the, the conservation around the Sumatran and uh, Javan rhinos uh, is done compared to what we have here in Africa? We have the black and the white rhinos. We have the only uh, two remaining northern yeah. whites right now, all pegeta. Is there a contrast? Is there a difference really in terms of, you know, vegetation, habitat, you know, uh, the, what they are fed? What, how can you... Uh, differentiate uh, between these these species. Yes, and I should have mentioned the northern white rhinos. So there are southern white rhinos and northern white rhinos. <clears throat> oh, excuse me. And um, sadly, there are only two remaining northern white rhinos, as, as you just mentioned, up in old Pajita, uh, and um, they're both females. So that uh, obviously presents challenges with a captive breeding program. Uh, but there are experts in reproductive technology, experts from around the world that are working both on that northern white rhino and in Sumatra with the Sumatran rhino to try to determine um, how to best save these species um, with the additional tool. I mean, with, with the northern white rhino, it's literally the only tool remaining um, to, 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 have, to create more rhinos, basically. And so collecting eggs and they collected semen from the last male Northern white rhino, whose name was Sudan, who died in um, 2018, I think it was, just two years ago. And um, and so, sorry, I totally didn't answer your question. What your question was about the differences. There are differences in, in rhinos. Some are grazers and some are browsers and such. Um, when it comes to reproduction, the challenges that uh, conservationists face are not with how to maintain them. Uh, they can be maintained in these, you know, our Sumatran rhino sanctuary in Indonesia, the enclosures are huge, very natural-like settings. And old Pajita, of course, is, is a wonderful setting for those rhinos. Um, and so it's less about the husbandry and taking care of them than, than the reproduction. Did I answer your question? I'm not sure um, I did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like I like how you've said it. Uh, that's fine. And... Uh, um, are you in favor of, uh, you know, uh, the, the assisted reproductive technology? I, I read a blog or rather an interview you did some time back, and I like what you said about using every tool in the toolbox. Uh, what can you say about that? You know? Yes, that is what I would still say. Artificial or assisted reproductive technology is absolutely one tool in the toolbox of conservation measures that can and should be deployed, again, with the two remaining female northern white rhinos in Kenya, that's literally our only hope. Um, it's still a new science or a developing science. It's not entirely proven, but it needs to be part of a comprehensive program for rhinos around the world when, when needed. Um, I mean, of course, we never want technology to be the only way we can save a species. We have to work first on habitat conservation and protecting them so that there are enough of the species for, for natural breeding to occur. Um, when that's not the case, we need to do everything we can. 
And um, yeah, there's this global group of scientists, super, super smart people that include, you know, Indonesians, Americans, Australians, Germans, uh, folks from around the globe who are working to develop these technologies and, and see when and how it can best be used. All right. And uh, moving on swiftly, you've mentioned, uh, you know, habitat conservation as really crucial in, uh, you know, saving uh, wildlife. And uh, especially now we are, we are talking about rhinos here. Uh, is it important uh, to include local communities in wildlife conservation? Mm. Yes, I would say it's not even important, but it's essential, right? Conservation can't happen without local support and involvement, or frankly, ideally, conservation is driven by local communities, not, not from outsiders. So yes, if I could tell a, a, a quick story about uh, some community efforts we have that I, I just love, it's just a really great example um, of our reforestation work that we do with our, our partners, uh, national park and local people in, in Indonesia. Um, it's in Wicombis National Park, and it's the only protected area in Indonesia with no buffer zone. So the villages surrounding the park are, are pretty close to this rainforest area where there are, frankly, not just rhinos, but there are tigers and sun bears and elephants and all, all sorts of amazing wildlife. Um, and human settlements have frequently encroached into the park, which, of course, impacts habitat for, for wildlife. And so, unfortunately, about a third of the rhino's habitat has been lost to this human encroachment. But uh, we are working closely and we've helped to fund several restoration sites in the area. And um, in one area, the park hired over 50 local people. And in the other area, uh, and this is just this past year, we've been doing this for a couple of years. So kind of over 50 people in each area to help reforest. And that includes everything from the people work to prepare the area. Uh, they built a guard post, frankly, mostly to monitor for elephants. <laughs> so elephants don't destroy the new seedlings. The people grow seedlings, plant them, monitor them, they'll water them if necessary. And um, so it's been this great way to involve local farmer groups and families, and then even local school kids and scout troops have joined to help. And then when the kids are there, they learn about the plants that rhinos like to eat. So I think uh, between the two areas, local people, this just this past year, planted over 32,000 hectares of, of uh, sorry, 32,000 seedlings um, in 10 different, uh, of 10 different types of plants that rhinos like. Um, that includes jackfruit and ficus and good stuff like that um, across 40 hectares. So 40 hectares um, with 32,000 seedlings. So it's been um, a great program and the survival, uh, the seedling survival rate was really high. It was at one of the sites, it was something like 73%, very high rate. We've learned over the years that we've done this and have gotten better each year. But um, so anyway, there's just a great example of local community really taking ownership of, of a conservation project. <clears throat> Kudos, kudos to them, uh, the community there at Waikombe. That's a very good example. But that's just one part of, you know, that part of the world. And uh, uh, being, being well-traveled, having interacted with lots and lots of uh, people on the ground, local communities, um, how, what is the conversation? Uh, and how have you noted their attitudes towards you know, conservation. Uh, are we getting there in terms of, you know, raising awareness and, you know, gaining their support to keep the momentum yes, going? Yes, and I, you know, I think that varies by area and 
and frankly, by species and not even rhino species, but I spent years working with ranchers in the American West and the challenges they have with wildlife conflicts with large predators and um, and, you know, attitudes there have been changing over the year, years, as well as the mitigation efforts um, and, and people learning to live with wildlife. But, you know, most ranchers probably still don't love wolves and bears. And um, I think that varies with rhinos, too, although, you know, the good news is rhinos, um, <laughs> they, 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 they don't eat your livestock. They don't kill people um, for the most part. So rhinos are a very non-offensive <laughs> <laughs> taxonomic group. So, and, and everybody loves rhinos, right? Who doesn't love rhinos? So, the human wildlife conflict with rhinos has been either habitat loss because of growing, expanding human populations, or the poaching, which is triggered by a desire for rhino horns. Um, so, it's not, it's absolutely not about anything that rhinos are quote unquote doing wrong. And, um, and so, I, so, I think that there is broad support in different communities for their restoration. All right. And are, are you worried about, you know, uh, human population increase? Because we can work hard to, you know, uh, save, you know, save the elephants, save the rhinos, you know, save the hirola, save the mountain bongo, you know, but there's no space really to reintroduce them back to the wild because the space has already been taken. People are selling land, you know, to farm. People are, you know, encroaching and building houses and putting up family units. Are you worried mm, about this trend? Yes. Gosh, this is going to be an increasingly critical question for conservation for every species around the globe, except maybe, I guess, the, the, those few species that happen to thrive in human areas. But this is the challenge for our generations, and it's going to take intensive human-wildlife conflict training and mitigation efforts, um, figuring ways for people to learn to live with wildlife and, and make space and coexist, um, which means in some cases changing how we do things as humans at the micro level. So, you know, ranchers I mentioned earlier um, can do different husbandry practices with their cattle to keep carnivores away, like having more range riders out on the, the range with their livestock and such. Um, and then, frankly, at the macro level, national policies are going to be essential for protecting public land and wildlife. And as human populations continue to grow, we're really, as a human society, going to have to recognize and create policies around the fact that um, so goes nature, so goes us. And that we are not just saving these critters for their sake, we're saving it for all of our sakes. I like what you said about micro and macro level. At the micro rev level, sorry, we have the community, we have the people on the ground, and uh, at the macro level, we have the government, the private sector, and um, you know the big corporations. Is that it, really? I'm sure there are lots of levels. <laughs> it's going to be every level. I like that. I like that analogy. I wanted you to explain further maybe for, for our listeners to understand because it's, that's really deep. Yeah, yeah, I, and, and it will take individual actions. I mean, what we do as individuals, I mean, even in terms of things like using fewer resources and recycling and these projects that might seem very, very micro, right? What people probably say, what, what can I, you know, what does my recycling do? 
but uh, of course, collectively, it all contributes to a lighter uh, footprint on, on the ecosystem. Yeah, indeed, indeed, we all have a role to play in this. Um, uh, uh, you mentioned partnerships at the beginning of the of the talk, and um, do you believe partnerships are key in reverting back uh, the biodiversity crisis facing mm. our planet at the moment? Yes, well, you know, just like you were asking about local communities, partnerships are also essential, and amongst everyone, all the different stakeholders. So we at International Rhino Foundation, we work with other nonprofits. We work with local, regional, federal governments. We work with businesses, scientists, um, the local public. Um, indigenous communities are important to conservation efforts. So yes, partnerships are key. Okay, great. Um, switching on gears now, uh, wh where do young people come in, Nina? Uh, do young people stand a chance in spearheading conservation efforts around the globe? Well, you know, young people are my hope. Young people are our future. And I, I'm so encouraged. I've been really encouraged the past few years. Also, I have a, a young adult daughter. I have a 24-year-old. And um, I'm so encouraged by her generation and what young people have done. If you look here in the U.S. in recent years and around the world with political movements, you know, they care. They want to do good. And I uh, am very optimistic about the future with this generation, but I don't for a second think we can leave it to young people. We can't, we, you know, hey, if we've created a big mess, we need to clean, we can't, I don't wanna hand them a big mess and go off into a happy retirement. Um, I, you know, I, I think we we owe it to them to, to there you go, talk about partnership, um, uh, you know, for, for older generations to partner with the younger generation in our conservation measures. And I hope that young people pursue wildlife conservation as a career. And maybe I should say what I really hope is that we can do better at diversifying the voices in the conservation space. Uh, we, we, we really must do that if, if we want to succeed. Indeed, the future, the future is bright, uh, really. And uh, how, how, how have you picked up the pieces, you know, as a company? Uh, COVID-19 just came tourism was uh, at a halt you know there there has been lots of funding you know range activities almost collapsed you know how 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 are you picking up the pieces thank you for asking and it's been a terrible year for for everyone around the globe it's been an unbelievable year um so uh, irf ourselves we are doing okay i would like to thank our supporters who have really stepped up in the past year that's been essential to us um, I'll also say that, interestingly, COVID has been a little bit of a mixed bag for the wildlife that we work on, for rhinos, um, in some of the range countries where we work, specifically I'm thinking of South Africa and Zimbabwe, the very strict lockdowns that initially occurred in those two countries, and, and frankly right now is kind of rehappening again after they loosened some restrictions, um, did, did a lot to, to stem poaching for this year. We think that poaching numbers are going to be far lower in 2020 than they were in 2019 in South Africa and Zimbabwe. And so that, of course, is quite a reprieve for, for these critters. On the downside, 
COVID also has has completely hampered our conservation efforts on the ground. Now, um, I will say monitoring and or protection measures have been considered essential services. So thank heavens that people, um, and this has been true in India and and most African countries and Indonesia, the rangers have been able to be out there protecting. But some of our more proactive conservation work has has definitely been stymied by the lockdowns and. So, um, boy, we, we just can't wait until things open up and we can um, hopefully keep the poaching down and then get back to doing the conservation measure, oops, sorry, measures that we um, need, need to keep moving on. Wow, thank you so much for that. And uh, you mentioned we, we, we started talking about Northern Kenya yeah. in the beginning of uh, the recording and your passion and your love for the wild, wild north. Um, and you come here annually except for last year. You know, what do you love most about, you know, interacting with the wildlife there, you know, landscapes and the, the Samburu yes, I people? Love, I love Kenya and I miss it. Um, and I was jealous earlier when you were talking about seeing rhinos in the wild because... <laughs> I started this job, so I can't wait to get back to to Africa. But um, I am on the board of directors of Awaso Lions, a lion conservation project in northern Kenya. So I have had the privilege of getting there just about annually for at least a decade. And yes, I initially, when I very first went to Africa after a lifetime and you know, or spending years in conservation, of course, thought I was going for the wildlife, but then much to my surprise, um, you know, my husband's also a conservationist, wildlife biologist, and came and we both had the same impact that really the landscape and the people and it's the whole package. I'm, I am a big fan of, um, of uh, Northern Kenya and um, I camp out at the Owasso Lions camp with, you know, their Samburu warriors and, um, and it's been great. I've hiked Mount Kenya. Uh, with with a big team, eighteen of their of their um, of their staff at Owasso Lions, and so it's just a I think it's a really magical place. Wow, wow! We can't wait to have you back, uh, probably. Uh, oh, thank you! I'll have year. to visit with you when I come. <laughs> for sure, for sure. And uh, Nina, uh, you've been in the conservation space for quite some time now. You've worked with. Uh, you know, various organizations in saving uh, different wildlife and, uh, you know, spe plant species. Uh, what has been your greatest lesson that you carry each and every day going, uh, you know, into into work or, you know, yeah, so that thing that keeps you going? What What is that? Well, gosh, I think I, I think I learn a new lesson every day in my career. Frankly, it is one of the great things about this job that the the learning never stops, which is a wonderful thing. And um, what keeps me going, well, first of all, just my deep love slash some might call obsession with wildlife. Um, so I love that. But I will say also the people that I have met through my entire career, my, you know, my best friends are in this movement and um, there's just such a dedicated group of individuals working on um what we believe is is a movement to better the planet by conserving our wildlife, but of course for for their sake as well as for all of us. So, um, I uh, it, it's it's never a dull moment in this career. There's always some new challenge, but there is always hope, including um, 
this past year, there were two baby Javan rhinos born, bringing that population from a fragile 72 individuals to 74. And those are the kind of stories that, that give me hope and, and keep me going. Wow, wow, that's that's big, that's big. Thank you so much. And uh, how can our listeners, you know, support and be part of the great work that you're doing at International Rhino Foundation? You know, one thing your listeners can do is to travel again when it's safe to do so. The national parks and game reserves um, have been really hurt by the lack of tourism. Uh, IRF started a reserve relief fund last spring when COVID hit and um, have given out about 11 grants totaling um, close to 300,000 to reserves to help them keep going while they had such a hard hit and loss of, of tourist revenue. So anyway, for people that like to travel, I hope they get back to it and travel to um, to these places and, and support support these wildlife measures. Um, you know, they it's just essential that wildlife protection and monitoring continue. In the meantime, of course, folks can always hop on our website to make a donation at uh, rhinos.org, and you can even be you can adopt a black rhino or a canine unit that helps to to protect rhinos at uh, rhinos.org/adopt. And um, of course, we always ask people to spread awareness of rhinos. You can become part of what we call Team Rhinos. And by the way, we have really cool T-shirts that say Team Rhino. Um, I love them. I've barely worn anything else in this time of COVID when I don't leave my home much. <laughs> <laughs> so again, you can find those and you can sign up for our newsletter. And then the last thing I'll say is I've been on a personal mission for IRF to cross the 1,000 subscribers um, number on YouTube because uh, that gets placement. So, yeah, so subscribe to wow. our YouTube channel. And then and we post kind of good, you know, rhino, you know, actually our social media person loves baby rhino photos. So she puts them up there regularly. For sure. Wow, wow. Thank you, thank you. Thank you so much, Nina, uh, for your time. What a brilliant, brilliant conversation we've had. I've enjoyed everything, every moment of it. Thank you for making well, time. Well, Asante, I, I can't us. thank you enough for uh, highlighting this important issue and, frankly, for all the work you do with your podcast. I'm so grateful to be on your show, and it's been very nice to virtually meet you. Thank you, thank you. I look forward to now meeting you now. Well, uh, you know, I'm, I'm over. when I'm all this back. is over, <laughs> for sure, for sure. Okay, thank Harry, you so have much, a great Nina. day. Bye. Okay, you too. Bye.